The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen together to the prophet's testimony as found in Isaiah chapter 12, beginning with the second verse. Listen now for God's word to you. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say on that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and, and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Christians have a special name for the third Sunday in Advent. Today is Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is a fancy Latin way of saying today is the Sunday of joy. Today we light the candle of joy. Today we contemplate the place of joy in our lives. Joy is something that most everyone seems to want, and yet joy Joy can be a tricky thing to define. What is it? Where does it come from? Joy has been defined as being exuberance and as being contentment. Joy is pleasure. Joy is the dog running to meet you when you return home. Joy is bird song floating in through the window. Joy is happiness, sort of, or, or maybe it runs deeper than happiness. T to have joy is to marvel at something. It's to consider some event, some vista, some voice calling you by name, and it's to whisper back into the ears of the universe, wow. Joy makes a person want to laugh and, and cry all at the same time. It's a, an affirmative vote cast by your soul. This is something good. This is a moment I want to press like a flower and preserve in the pages of my heart. Poet John Keats famously wrote, A thing of beauty is a joy forever. 
its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness, but still will keep a bower of quiet for us and a sleep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. This past week, I listened to a TED Talk by Ingrid Fettel Lee. Lee is a designer. She approaches the issue of joy from the standpoint of aesthetics. Lee is determined to try and figure out as concretely as possible what things, what, what shapes, what colors, what experiences give people joy. Her research reveals that we humans tend to point to a familiar cluster of things when asked, what gives you joy? And, and here are some of our most common responses. Rainbows. Ice cream cones, especially the ones with sprinkles on them. Balloons. Bubbles. And this, a confetto. A confetto, I discovered, just this past week, is the singular form of confetti. <laughs> Toss a bunch of these little colored tissue paper circles in the air, and says Lee, you get a fairly high return of joy. <laughs> it worked? Yeah, it worked. Weren't as an easy sell when it comes to joy. <laughs> the same goes for googly eyes, says Lee. Googly eyes, Lee claims, are really good at evoking joy. She's referring to the transparent imitation eyes used in arts and crafts, the ones with the small free-floating disc inside. So earlier this morning, I decided to test the truth of Lee's assertion. I snuck into this sanctuary, and I affixed googly eyes to a few random hymnals out there. I may have even made it to the choir loft and the organ itself. Ryan, yes. did you experience joy? Extreme joy. Extreme joy. Some of us are not so sure. I see you pointing out your hymnals out there. Some of us wish it was just that easy, that a rain of spangly flecks or a few googly-eyed hymnals could actually drum up joy. Every four years, for the past 50 years, the University of Chicago has surveyed Americans in regard to their overall happiness. At the same time, the survey has asked people questions about the things that we often connect to happiness. Questions about personal finance, social relationships, and our perception of the overall health of the country. How's your bank account? How are your friendships? Do you think life will be better or worse for the next generation of Americans? 
You'll not be surprised to learn that in the University of Chicago's most recent survey, completed in 2020, Americans reported the lowest level of happiness in five decades. Our low level of joy was not, however, pegged to personal finance. 80% of those surveyed felt satisfied with their overall financial situation. According to the survey's editors, two other numbers best explained our drop in happiness. First, and not surprisingly, feelings of isolation brought on by the pandemic have skyrocketed over the last year and a half. We've spent a lot of time alone. Second, a growing number of people of every political stripe say they are increasingly pessimistic about this country's future. The consensus was we fight too much and accomplish too little. Together, these factors have sunk our sense of joy to a 50-year low, making this the perfect moment to get into conversation with the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah's people were also not feeling the joy. They'd endured corrupt and incompetent political leaders. They'd been conquered by enemy armies. They felt like they were wandering in a cultural desert and the only thing on the horizon was a dust cloud. Many had given up hope. They were resigned to living life without joy. Isaiah preaches to these downtrodden folk. And in today's text, this is what he says. Folks, God is our salvation. And, and you parched souls, you pessimistic friends, you are going to feel God's redeeming hand on your shoulder. Trust me, you are going to draw water from the wells of God's salvation, you're going to drink your fill, and when the drops cascade down your chins, you're gonna say, by golly, Isaiah, you nutball, you, you were right. And then you're gonna sing and dance around. You're gonna praise God. You're going to shout with joy. You see what I mean? Isaiah was an encouraging fellow. Joy will be yours. Those are nice words to hear. But, says a little voice in the back of our head, how solid is Isaiah's guarantee? I mean, nobody wants to offer empty promises to those who are suffering. A few years ago, I was sitting in my office talking with a parishioner. She was making her way one sodden square at a time through a box of tissues. A week earlier, her husband had packed his bags 
and told her that he wanted a divorce. My life with him, she said, has been one big lie. I feel so demeaned. I loved him. I, I would have done anything for him. And he, he treated me like a piece of trash. Scott, I've lost so much. Memories, dreams, even my dignity. Now what? Will I ever be happy again? Will I ever be happy again? As a pastor, I've heard that question far too many times. I heard it from a friend who lost his son to cancer. I heard it from a congregant after suffering a miscarriage. I heard it from someone who, on her birthday, was fired by a company that she'd worked for for over 20 years. Will life ever taste sweet? Will I ever be happy again? Isaiah's people ask this question. The prophet listens, he nods, and then he leans forward and makes an outrageous promise. God always comes to save. Trust me. You will know joy again. What makes Isaiah so optimistic? Now that, my friends, is actually a trick question. Isaiah's words are not optimistic. Not at least in the traditional way we think of optimism. Today's passage is not evidence that the prophet has a cheery disposition. There's more going on here than gray skies are going to clear up, put on a happy face, a lot more. My friend Tom R. Jr. has just published this powerful book entitled Joy Even on Your Worst Days. It would make a good Christmas gift. In the book, Tom tells the story of Admiral James Stockdale, Stockdale, as some of you remember, was shot down over Vietnam in 1965. He was the highest ranking American prisoner of war. Stockdale was held at the infamous Hanoi Hilton for over eight years. He was tortured 20 times. Somehow, though, he remained strong. Years later, soldiers and sailors held in that same prison would single Stockdale out as a voice who spoke comfort and hope in a world of seemingly unending despair. When asked by journalist Jim Collins how he dealt so courageously with years of solitary confinement and abuse, Stockdale spoke of the military's commitment to leave no soldier behind. And then he said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but that I would prevail in the end and turn this experience into the defining moment of my life. 
a moment which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Collins then asked Stockdale, well, who didn't make it out? And the Admiral responded, the optimists. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. Stockdale went on to say, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with the discipline necessary to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. As strange as it may seem, this hard-won recognition is the beginning of joy. Joy, my friends, is not frivolous optimism. Nor is joy simply the opposite of suffering. Instead, joy is a sort of stubborn resilience. It's a perspective that allows you to stand strong and see beyond hard times. Swiss theologian Karl Barth describes joy as God's continual, defiant, nevertheless. Nevertheless, God is God. In spite of everything, in spite of tornadoes and the Omicron variant, in spite of cancer and crushing bouts of depression, God is still God, and God is still good. In spite of everything, God still loves us with abandon. God still drips, dips cups of cold water from wells and hands them to folk walking through life's deserts. My friends, God's promises do not hinge on the evening news or the latest report you received from your doctor or whether you feel optimistic or pessimistic when you wake up in the morning. God's promises do not depend on any of those things. Instead, God's promises help us endure all of those things. Joy then, joy is faith's way of saying, no matter how much horse fertilizer is raining down on my head, nevertheless, nevertheless, God is good. Nevertheless, God's purposes for me and you and this whole messy world will win out. And that's the conviction that grounds Isaiah. And that is the challenge Isaiah delivers to our doorstep during Advent. People of faith, we are called to sow joy, to speak God's real promises. Not gray skies are going to clear up, but here, amidst the gray skies, God is present. Here, in the desert, there is water to be had. Here, 
in this tough old world, there is reason to resist resignation and gloominess and to pause and marvel at the splendor of existence. When the woman who was weeping in my office said, will I ever be happy again? I answered, yes, absolutely. I don't know how it will happen. I don't know when it will happen, but I firmly believe this is God's intent. In fact, I'm so certain I will bet you a cheeseburger that you will know joy again. This is probably a good moment to confess that my doctor does not think I ought to treat cheeseburgers as currency. In any case, I made that bet, and about a dozen others like it over the years of my ministry, because I wanted to offer comfort to someone who was feeling very sad, but also because I think Isaiah was right. When you're in the desert, the very thing that God promises also happens to be the very thing we most need. Yale theologian Willie James Jennings agrees. Jennings says, I look at joy as an act of resistance against despair and its forces. Joy can become, says Jennings, a state of mind, a way of life. Joy is a way of life? Is that possible? Isaiah describes people singing, dancing, celebrating. Is, is that really how we ought to behave? This past week, I received an email addressed to the parents of senior students at the high school where my son Oliver attends. The email counseled students to keep any good news that they might receive regarding college applications to themselves. Why? Well, because not everyone has received good news, not yet. Please remember, said the email, many students' and parents' anxieties are running high. He was right. And I appreciate the principal's caring heart. No one wants their dance in the desert to be a source of pain for others. Still, the email made me wonder. Have we, as a society, overcorrected? Have we chased joy underground? Have we, out of concern for others' feelings, turned joy into a private matter? Like the NFL, do we struggle to tell the difference between a taunt and a celebration? Have we shrunk our capacity for joy? A few years ago, I was talking to a friend who'd returned from a church mission trip to Zambia. As part of the trip, the group took along two dozen soccer balls, balls that they could inflate when they arrived there and present to students at a Presbyterian school in Lusaka. When we passed them out, he said, I took a video for you. Watching the kids in Lusaka dancing and smiling with those soccer balls, I dabbed tears away from my eyes. How could athletic equipment bring such happiness? 
It must be, I told myself, because these kids had so little. Later, though, when I was journaling about the experience, I looked down at my words. They have so little. How could I be so clueless? When, I wondered, had I forgotten the pure joy that comes from having a new ball? My friends, is it possible that our expectations for what ought to cause joy, for what ought to ground us in the goodness of God, have gotten completely out of whack? <laughs> I've had people say to me, I'll be happy as soon as I hit the lottery, then I will realize my dreams. <laughs> That is not, I'm afraid, the sort of dream Isaiah calls us to embrace. Isaiah invites us to see joy as a well, as an ordinary thing in a time of need. It's a surprising discovery amidst harsh terrain. When you're standing in the desert, a cup of cold water is something worth celebrating with your community, it will invite laughter and dancing. Surely it will. Over 20 years of ministry, three different times, I've arrived at my office door to discover a small white paper bag there. Sometimes it's got a note attached, sometimes not, it doesn't matter. The cheeseburger inside is reminder enough. God's salvation is at hand. Isaiah is so right. Joy ought not be solitary. The only way we'll make it through the desert is if it's shared and shared and shared. Friends, go out into Advent in peace, and wherever you go, sow joy. Share when you can in others' joy. Dance, celebrate, praise God, be of good cheer, for love, the Lord, is on the way. Amen.